You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is produced in cooperation with the AGA Institute. This educational program is sponsored by Given Imaging, expanding the scope of GI. For more information on the leader in the specialty GI diagnostics market, please visit givenimaging.com. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine at the University of Illinois at Chicago, Dr. Jay Goldstein. Obscure gastrointestinal bleeding can pose investigational challenges for physicians. What new technologies are helping us, the physicians, more effectively detect small bowel abnormalities? Joining us today to discuss evaluating obscure GI bleeding are Dr. Jonathan Layton, Professor of Medicine and Chair of the Division of Gastroenterology at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona, and Dr. Moshe Rubin, Director of Gastroenterology and Program Director of the GI Fellowship Training Program at New York Hospital Queens Medical Center and the Weill Cornell Medical College in New York. Welcome, Drs. Layton and Rubin. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start out with a very simple question. Jonathan, what is the term obscure gastrointestinal mean to a physician? Obscure gastrointestinal bleeding is defined as bleeding of unknown origin that persists or recurs after a negative upper and lower endoscopy. And the importance there is that it is persistent or recurrent. Okay. And we oftentimes use the term occult bleeding. How is that different? Well, you can divide obscure gastrointestinal bleeding into obscure overt or obscure occult. Obscure overt occurs when you see visible bleeding, either hematemesis or melana. And obscure occult is defined as iron deficiency anemia with or without a positive fecal occult blood test. And what are some of the potential causes of obscure GI bleeding, Moshe? Well, we differentiate and divide the causes depending on the age group of the patient that we're investigating. In the older age patient, we most commonly see AVMs or arteriovenous malformations. And in the younger age patient, you're actually more concerned about finding small tumors. But, you know, other more obscure lesions, including Meckel's diverticulum and Dulafoy's lesions, and a whole host of other things can be found as well. Are there any other causes that might come to mind, physician-induced, drug-induced? Well, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are well-known amongst the medicine and GI communities as causes of upper gastrointestinal mucosal damage and bleeding. What's less well-known is that these drugs actually cause, in up to 10% of patients, small intestinal ulcerations and strictures and bleeding, and they are now identified as a significant cause of obscure bleeding. Jonathan, anything to add to that? I think that generally we think of either vascular inflammatory or neoplastic lesions as the most common etiologies for obscure bleeding. In addition to that age differentiation, I think we have to remember that there are inflammatory lesions of the small bowel that may present as obscure GI bleeding. In addition to NSAID enteropathy, also inflammatory bowel disease of the small bowel, namely Crohn's disease. For the practicing gastroenterologist, beyond Crohn's disease is an obscure cause. What others come to mind that are inflammatory? As obscure bleeding, 
there are lesions in the upper GI tract that are actually within reach of the endoscope that are sometimes missed. And esophagitis, peptic ulcer disease, and Cameron lesions associated with hiatal hernias are also causes of obscure GI bleeding. And if I can just add to that as well, radiation enteritis uh, occasionally can cause, as Jonathan mentioned, inflammatory type uh, bleeding. Even celiac patients, although for many years it was known that there was an association with iron deficiency anemia, only more recently are we aware that some of these patients actually have small ulcers in the small intestine contributing to that obscure bleeding. There are challenges that uh, we referred to earlier. Jonathan, you said something about after a negative upper and lower endoscopy. What are some of the challenges in evaluating obscure GI bleeding? I think one of the most difficult challenges is that oftentimes by the time the patient is evaluated in a hospital setting, they're often not bleeding. And if they're not actively bleeding at the time of your evaluation or they bled several days ago, it can make it very difficult to identify the lesion. There is good evidence to suggest from previous studies that a source of bleeding is frequently overlooked during the first endoscopy in perhaps up to 20% of cases. It is felt, therefore, that one of the ways to increase the yield is to evaluate the patient as soon as you can to the timing of the bleed and ideally within 48 hours of the acute event. I think that that is perhaps the biggest challenge. Let's go back to a little bit of a definition. What is a negative upper endoscopy? Is it one procedure, two procedures, two out of three, three out of five? I think initially in someone who comes in with gastrointestinal bleeding, I would define it as a negative upper endoscopy and a negative colonoscopy, and that would be my definition. But because of the fact that we know that cases that bleeding sources are often overlooked initially, that is the reason that we think second look endoscopy is very important. And so I think that in most of these situations before embarking on a small bowel evaluation, it is important to perform what I call second look endoscopy, for sure upper endoscopy and sometimes even a second colonoscopy. Moshe, do you agree? Well, the data definitely point in that direction, and Jonathan and I and many other gastroenterologists around the country have been doing deep enteroscopy, either balloon-assisted or spiral enteroscopy, and anecdotally, it's not uncommon to find lesions either in the upper GI tract proximal to the ligament of trites or in the colon, particularly AVMs in the cecum. There are several studies that say, as Jonathan pointed out, 10 to 20% of these patients will end up having a lesion that could have been identified in a follow-up upper endoscopy or colonoscopy. And since these deep enteroscopies are much more complicated, although it does add expense to do a second look, it's probably much better for the patient. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Goldstein, and joining me to discuss evaluating obscure GI bleeding are Dr. Jonathan Layton, Professor of Medicine and Chair of the Division of Gastroenterology at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona, and Dr. Moshe Rubin, Director of Gastroenterology and Program Director of the GI Fellowship Training Program at New York Hospital Queens Medical Center and Weill Cornell Medical College in New York. Okay, gentlemen, let's return to the real big question. 
What methods can we use to evaluate the small bowel or obscure GI bleeding? Well, I think that there are both endoscopic methods and radiologic methods. Regarding the endoscopic methods for small bowel evaluation, we have available now uh, capsule endoscopy and different forms of deep enteroscopy using endoscopes. Okay, what is deep enteroscopy? It was referred to before, Moshe? It's a term that implies that we have the ability now with some novel technology and enhancements to traditional endoscopes to get well into the small bowel and to actually, in many instances, do a total small bowel enteroscopy by combining an antegrade approach by going through the mouth and then a second procedure retrograde approach going through the colon. And at the present time, we have three main means of performing deep enteroscopy. Two are balloon-assisted. One is called the double balloon enteroscope by Fujinon. And then there's a single balloon enteroscope made by Olympus. And there's also a spiral overtube, which can fit over various scopes. But all three of these techniques allow for what we know as deep enteroscopy, meaning we can essentially assess the majority of the small bowel. Jonathan, you referred to radiographic findings. What about CT enterography? I think CT enterography is a technique where the patient drinks a large amount of neutral contrast and the small bowel is dilated by the volume of liquid that the patient ingests and it gives a very good look at the wall of the small bowel. It is uh, very helpful in inflammatory lesions of the small bowel that may be causing obscure bleeding. There are a few small studies looking at its use in obscure bleeding. And at this point, I think for angioctasias, we don't know how useful it's going to be. But it's particularly useful for identifying inflammatory lesions or mass lesions of the small bowel that may be causing obscure bleeding. Well, let's get to a different question. A small bowel capsule was referred to before. How is that used in the algorithm of evaluating the small bowel? There was a recent publication in gastrointestinal endoscopy by what's called the Standards of Practice Committee, where they review the existing literature and come up with recommendations based on evidence-based medicine. As many of us involved in evaluating the small bowel know, video capsule endoscopy remains the first-line diagnostic tool for evaluating the small bowel in obscure bleeding. It's non-invasive. It's uh, easy to perform. It has a uh, relatively high yield of 50 to 60 percent, and it helps even if in the era of deep enteroscopy, it helps point the endoscopist where to look for a lesion in the proximal small bowel, the distal small bowel, or if there's no lesion, and then maybe the patient should just be treated with iron supplementation. One more point, this obviously is different in, in terms of dealing with overt, massive, obscure bleeding versus uh, obscure bleeding that's occult. In massive bleeding, it may not be the right first tool There are some suggestions that maybe you should go straight to angiography or other modalities. But in most patients, it's the first-line approach. Well, now that we've had a capsule endoscopy done on our patient, let's talk a little bit about managing the obscure bleeding. What can be done about small bowel bleeding that you visualized through the use of video capsule endoscopy? If you identify a lesion, 
generally we say if it is in the first 75% of the small bowel transit, that will go with an oral uh, enteroscope. And once you identify the lesion with the enteroscope, then you have several options. If they are ectasias that are bleeding, then you can use cautery with, for example, argon plasma coagulation or heat probe therapy. You can also use clips in certain circumstances. And if you find a polyp that's bleeding, you can uh, perform polypectomy similar to the approach that you would use for a colonoscopic polypectomy. Anything to add to that, Moshe? Those are the main modalities, as Dr. Layton mentioned, controlling bleeding with the same tools that gastroenterologists are familiar with in treating other forms of bleeding. You can also balloon dilate strictures. At times, there are cases when, as I did want to mention, that a capsule can be retained, particularly in patients with Crohn's disease, because they do develop strictures that are not apparent on radiologic imaging. And uh, with the use of through-the-scope balloon dilators, we're able to dilate these strictures relatively safely and then use what are called Roth nets to capture the capsule and uh, retrieve it and take it out of the small bowel. So I would add that to our known armamentarium. Well, on that positive note, I'd like to thank my guests, Dr. Jonathan Layton and Dr. Moshe Rubin. Drs. Layton and Rubin, thank you very much for being our guests this week on GI Insights. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is produced in cooperation with the AGA Institute. This educational program is sponsored by Given Imaging, expanding the scope of GI. For more information on the leader in the specialty GI diagnostics market, please visit givenimaging.com. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com and use promo code AGA. Since 2001, Given Imaging has advanced endoscopic technology by developing innovative, patient-friendly tools based on its PillCam platform. PillCam Capsule Endoscopy provides a GI Society-supported clinical tool that optimizes patient care through direct visualization of the small bowel. Supported by more than 1,300 peer-reviewed publications and the experience of 1.2 million patients worldwide, the PillCam procedure does not require sedation and is now considered the gold standard for small bowel visualization. To learn more about PillCam capsule endoscopy, please visit capsuleendoscopy.org, a website dedicated to healthcare professionals with an interest in this advanced technology. Capsuleendoscopy.org is a place for healthcare professionals to teach, learn, and share. Given Imaging, the recognized leader in capsule endoscopy.